So, dear brothers and sisters, in our reading this morning, we had the reading from the first book of Samuel. We have this uh, dynamic between Saul and David, the Saul who is anointed king, chosen king by Samuel, becomes king, leads the people, but he's, he, he doesn't do a great job. I mean, he's, he's vain. Uh, he likes to be seen, he likes to be praised, and I guess his greatest flaw is that God's word isn't enough for him. He, if, when God reveals his will through Samuel, Saul thinks, yeah, that's, that's a nice idea, but I'd rather do it my own way. So often what he does doesn't necessarily seem like the worst sin in the world, but the point is, if we don't get the, the little things right, if we don't follow God in the little things, then we're not going to follow him in the big things. If we don't get them right in the ordinary things, we won't get the extraordinary things right. If we don't listen to him, if we, don't, if we won't follow him uh, in, in the ordinary things, we won't follow him in the extraordinary things. And that's where, like, every day, it's such a lesson to us, like, that every day is an opportunity to grow. Every opportunity, every day uh, on this journey towards the Lord is formative. Because uh, it, it is a question that many of you have, and I suppose many of our, our viewers at home as well have some of the, the bigger questions of life. You know, what's my vocation or what's God's will for me uh, in, in the big things? And we forget that, well, even if he did reveal it to you, even if he did reveal it to you, maybe you wouldn't be ready to follow it. Are you doing the little things? Are you getting the small things right? And this is the very same in marriage and this is the very same in any even friendship. You know, if you don't maintain basic contact, will you be there for the person when they are in need? Probably not. So uh, there are, there's a lot going on in this reading. It's, 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 it, there's a lovely dynamic as well between Jonathan, who's Saul's son, and David. Jonathan and, and David have this. Uh, it's, it's, it's a good friendship. I would actually be terrified uh, of them making a movie about this today because I guarantee you they'd probably be implying that Jonathan was some way romantically interested in, 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 they would, they would, they would, uh, in, in David. He wasn't. They were what's known as friends, right? It's a thing. It's a real thing. Friends. Jonathan, who actually is friends with David, who likes the guy and would prefer not to see him dead. It's usually kind of a, a, a quality of a friend. They'd rather not see you dead. You know, so, so Jonathan informs David, my dad wants to kill you. If I were you, I'd get out of here. Uh, so, 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 so David does. But just the one thing I wanted to, to hone in on, on today is this. Is Saul, who is really cutting off his nose to spite his face, to use the, the old expression. Uh, David has done something amazing for the people of Israel. Right? He's defeated Goliath. No warrior in Israel wanted to take on Goliath. Big dude, plenty of experience in war and in battle. Uh, they did not want to take him on. And Goliath, incidentally, before this particular battle between David and himself, Goliath had spent, I can't remember how long it was, quite, quite a long time, something like in around 40 days, coming up to the Israelite camp, taunting them. Ye shower wasters, ye shower losers. Oh, look at ye, the big, powerful people, your big, powerful God. Go on, anybody, anybody who thinks he's capable of taking me on, send him out. Right? So day after day after day, taunting the people of Israel. And they were terrified of him. They were terrified of him. Because, again, if, if, you know, I mean, me going up against Eddie or something. I mean, like you've got, you know, some, you've got a guy with a, a long reach, you know, a guy with armor, a guy who's trained, who knows what he's doing. 
Uh, the Israelites weren't necessarily soldiers. They were farmers. They were nomads. You know, so, again, you don't stand a chance. And then David goes up, running from the battle lines with no sword and with no armor. A child, right, against a man who has been training for 15 years, 20 years, how to kill people quickly. This was his job. Goliath's job was, was to learn how to kill people quickly. <laughs> Move on to the next one. Like, I mean, this was his job. It's all he did. And you're going to go up against him, running at him, with a slingshot. <laughs> like, I, 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 I know, like, we, 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 we do marvel at the story, but, like, that was suicide. But because he felt this was God's will, it worked. It worked. He was doing what God wanted. Okay, and it worked in the favor. Now, so... So Israel now have, have, have won a great battle, right? Without having to send out thousands again, thousands and, 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 and lose thousands of men in battle, David feeds Goliath, right? So one representative of each camp. So, I mean, it's, it's a hugely successful uh, battle. I mean, it, it, it rattled the Philistines in their, in their confidence. It gave a great boost of confidence to the, to the Israelites. Okay, so it's a good thing for Israel. But then... Saul hears the ladies singing. The ladies singing. Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. The incident was not to his liking. They have given tens of thousands to David, he said, but given me only the thousands. He has all but the kingship now. And Saul turned a jealous eye on David from that day forward. Okay, that's really childish like. It's really childish of Saul. He's the king of Israel. Grow up. All right, this fella won a battle for ye. Okay? This has benefited Israel. Get on with being a king. As opposed to the girls like him more than me. I mean, that's what he's saying. Like, it's crazy. It's so, it's so immature. It's so vain. Now, I think, again, it's always important to, to, to bring these readings back to us. Back to me today. Otherwise, they're, they're, they're just historic stories. I think very often you and I can have what you might call a performance-driven identity. Performance-driven identity. That in order to be loved, I have to do something. In order to be good, I have to do something. In order to be recognized or anything, I have to always do. I have to perform well, and then I can receive love. I, can, I, have to, I always have to... to to, to make an, uh, a, a serious effort. Now, okay, we have to, we have to balance this correctly because you can, you can exaggerate on both sides. You can exaggerate by saying, I have to do lots and lots and lots in order to earn even God's love. You know, in order for God to love me, now if I do my holy hour and do my annual pilgrimage and I go to Mass on Sunday, then, okay, maybe I can accept some of God's love. If I don't do those things or if I experience my own sinfulness and my weakness, then... God doesn't love me, but that's okay. I haven't earned it. That's all right. I'll get myself back on track. And then when I'm back on track, then God can love me again. And I think subtly, a lot of us believe that. That, you know, when, 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 when we fall short of the mark, when we experience our own weakness, God doesn't love me as much, but that's okay. I understand. I wouldn't love me either. <laughs> so once I get myself back on track, then he can start loving me again, and that's fine. That's not the heart of the Father. That is not how the father loves. I mean, we could go into the whole parable of the prodigal son. 
or maybe the merciful father, if you wish to call it that, who waits for his son while he is still a long way off, sees him and runs towards him. The father is not waiting even for the son to pronounce his little rehearsed spiel. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father doesn't even wait for that. The father is waiting for his son and runs towards him. So the father's love is unconditional. I don't know how often we have to say that for that actually to get into our stupid heads and our walled hearts. The father's love is unconditional, meaning no condition, meaning you don't earn it, meaning a performance-driven identity towards God. It, 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 it cheapens God's love or it makes God's love conditional. It makes his love conditional. He'll love me when I'm good. He'll love me when I'm sinless. He'll love me when I've overcome a certain vice or when I've uh, ticked a certain number of kind of spiritual boxes, then he'll love me. That's a performance-driven identity towards God. And we can have a a performance-driven identity also towards others. You know, that if I was a better person, if I was a more likable person, if I was a happier person, if I was a more virtuous person, then people would like me. They don't like me now, but that's okay. I don't like me either. Okay? I understand them. So what I'll do is, I'm going to try really hard, you know, and just try and be what people need me to be or want me to be, and then when I've achieved that, then people might like me, and then I might like myself. Performance-driven, performance-driven. I have to do, I have to do, I have to do. And that's absolutely exhausting. Because you're constantly chasing this identity that isn't really you. It's, it's what you think people need you to be, or what you're supposed to be, or what all these, I don't know, what society says, or what your own mind says, or even what the tempter might say you're supposed to be. If you were smarter... People would like you. If you were smarter, if you were prettier, okay, people would like you. You're not good enough as it is, but look, maybe, maybe if you do these certain things and go on these certain diets and wear these certain clothes, put your hair in a certain way and get your face tucked and pulled and dragged and whatever way it's supposed to be, uh, then people would like you. Now, so for the moment, you're hideous, but that's okay. We'll work on it. You've got no friends, but that's fine. No one would really love you. I mean, look at you. Okay, but what we'll do is we'll do all these things and then you'll be likable. And then you'll have friends. Right? So, but again, the mentality is, I'm not good enough in and of myself. And if I do certain things, then I will be lovable. Performance-driven. If I win, if I'm good at, if I look like, all of these things. It's an exhausting way to live because we're constantly chasing something. And the enemy is very, very, very good at spotting that weakness. He spots that, 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 that frailty, that, that desire for love, which is a good thing. It's good that we want to be loved, because that's normal. We have been created for love. That's completely normal. But the fact that we feel we have to earn love all the time, the enemy will very much capitalize on that. He will see that, that you're hungry for love, which we all are, because as I say, we have a human heart. We want to be loved. But he will say then, in order to attain that love, you have to do, you have to do, you have to do. And that's exhausting. And I would argue it, never, it, it, it doesn't actually come to an end either. After you have done those things that you were supposed to do, after you have gotten your Botox done, or uh, won some accolade in sports, or achieved some of these spiritual standards that you had set for yourself are you at peace then i would argue no i would argue that chances are there's always something more you could have or should have or would have done so even then you're not still at peace and 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 even as regards earning god's love or earning 
other people's love, or maybe even loving yourself, there's always something more that could have or should have been done. So I think this, this performance-driven identity is uh, it's detrimental to our happiness. It's detrimental to our relationship with God. David, or Saul's identity, was in being the greatest. That's what, that was his, his performance-driven identity. I have to be the greatest. It wasn't enough to be a good king, which he wasn't really. It wasn't enough to even, you know, slay thousands of enemies, which is sort of pretty, well, if you're into that kind of thing, if you're a king back in the day, I suppose it, was, it came with the territory. I'm not recommending it. But it's not exactly, it's not exactly uh, an offence to say, you know, you've killed thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. It's still a compliment. But it wasn't enough. His identity was that I have to be the best, but he was focusing on all the wrong things. Be the best. Well, be the best at doing God's will, maybe. Might have been a better idea for him. So you and I, have we a performance-driven identity? Am I only happy when I've achieved certain standards or goals? Do I believe that God can only love me if I've achieved certain standards in the spiritual life? Do I believe that other people could only love me if? Will I only love myself if? Our, the founder of our community, Father Paul, often speaks about, in, in the spiritual life, uh, so this license, this, this I, have to, I have to just do and do and do all the time rather than just receive. And where many of us are really, really terrible at receiving. Just receiving God's love. Just sit there and receive it. Just receive it. You don't have to earn it or pray a certain amount and then he might love you. And It's just, just receive it. Just receive it. We can learn so much from watching, not in a weird way, but a mom and a child just just how the mom just loves the child and just picks up little pooey baby and just, just loves the child. The child hasn't done anything to earn it. And you would do the same when you see a child. You'd love the child, even though you might even know the child's name. Or a niece or a nephew or your own children, God willing, one day, you'll know their name, probably. Um, but you, just, you pick them up and you love them. You love them. Not because they've done anything just because they exist. And so God, he loves you because you exist, not because you've done something to earn it. If that can seep into our hearts, that, that changes our experience of prayer. And it, ex- it changes our adoration. Because you come to adoration, and sometimes you think, uh, Lord, I know you speak to lots of people, and you speak to the holy people, and you speak to Maria, and you speak to Hannah, because they're really holy. I know you won't speak to me, but I get it. I wouldn't speak to me either. So what I'll do is, I'll pray this holy hour, I'll do this rosary, I'll sing these songs, and sure, yeah. Um, maybe, maybe, I hope they have a good holy hour. <laughs> All right, I hope they get some spiritual revelations. Uh, and then you just put down the hour, because I mean, God isn't going to speak to you, because you're you. And you don't even expect him to. You're not even listening for him because he's not going to speak. Why would he, why would he speak to you? And you know, so you don't you already discount yourself from the possibility of him speaking to you because why would he? You understand? Like we put up these, these barriers and then wonder why God doesn't speak. Well, he's trying to. <laughs> he's trying to. He wants to. Do you want to hear him? Have you blocked him out? 
do you think that you have to attain a certain standard before he'll actually speak to you? I think that's probably more common than we might realize. Your father loves you. You do not have to earn his love. If we recognize that we have a performance-driven identity, this is something we should bring to the Lord. Lord, I feel I have to earn your love. Say it to him honestly. I feel I have to earn your love. And then listen to his response. It will be something along the lines of, I love you just as you are. And you'll say, yeah, but I know. But I, I'm, look, I should have, and I, you know, it would have been better if, and he'll probably say, wished up in his divine way. He'll probably just say, would you mind to stop talking a second? <laughs> okay. Would you just listen? I love you. I love you just as you are. And then sit in that. Sit with that. Stay there. It's good to identify if we have performance-driven identity and then declare bloody war on it. Because it's not from God. It's not from God. And it will absolutely get between you and him. Your identity is not based on your performance. Your identity is based on the fact that you are a beloved child of God. Sit with that. Pray with that. And let the Lord love you.